go there. With Shira and Ryan. Oh my God. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello. Happy Tuesday. You're listening to Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Are we? We're officially in summer. These are summer hours, even though we have regular hours. I don't know what it is with your obsession with summer hours. It's like Shira... We've done summer hours on this station once, and that just means we add some more fun music for you all to jam out to while you're in your cars. But Shira automatically thinks that we're getting out two hours earlier. Like, we don't have to do our full show anymore. Uh, that no, that is exactly what you keep well, thinking. You've clarified, but it's more like whether you're doing the show or just listening and hanging out. I feel like in general the summer hits and you like you feel like it's different hours. Like everything's really? different. We're in a different space. It's the summer. There's no seasons in <laughs> Los Angeles. Like I'm sorry, when, when I was living in Nashville, you got all four seasons. Out here, you get summer. And summer. No, I think you get spring and you and get fall. a little bit. Yeah, you get no. I do think I LA think has a summer. It definitely does. You get spring with mixed in with a little bit of fall, but like not even for a long time. Come on, I am wearing a t-shirt and I wore a tank top and shorts this weekend. That yeah, is that is normal LA weather. Sure, you can wear and people wear that even in December. Mm, that's weird. Wearing shorts in December. That's mm, no. But that's what they do here in Los. How long have you lived here? Uh, almost twenty years. And you're just I'm now realizing the seasons person. of this place. I create what uh, the seasons. I just won't let go of my uh, Canadian roots. I'll be wearing like my layers, even though it's hot. This is what happens when we don't plan our opening. Hey, <laughs> this is real life, okay? Coming up, we're so excited to have Parson James on the show. Joining mm-hmm. us at 4.35 p.m. Pacific, 7.35 p.m. Eastern. He has a new song out with JoJo. We'll be playing that and talking more about the new single. But right now, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki responded to the controversial election bill about to be voted on in the Senate. Um, state legislatures, as you referenced, across the country are passing a wave of anti-voter laws based on the same repeatedly disproven lies that led to an assault on our nation's capital. They are putting these laws in place because they did not like the outcome and they've continued to perpetuate a lie about the outcome of the election. That's why we're here. And we'll be talking more about this with The Washington Post in 15 minutes. Now, again, we want to give a shout out to Las Vegas Raiders defensive and Carl Nassib, who came out as gay yesterday, becoming the first active player in the NFL League to do so. He posted this on his Instagram. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I actually started off by saying, what's up, people? Oh, I felt like yes. that was the most just casual way of <laughs> starting out a coming out video. Sure. Yeah. Like, it's, that's, it speaks to, like, the moment we're in because, of course, people are just casual about it. It should be. Uh-huh. Um, and he actually spoke to that in his video that he posted. Um, but the really interesting thing I'm looking forward to is seeing how his career kind of uh takes I, I'm interested in seeing how his career ends up being versus how Michael Sam's career ended up being because I think it's gonna be very telling um about um them everyone kind of labeling him like the first inactive gay player when Michael Sam was kind of there and he was active and then had it had to end up being basically let go because of the whole scandal around him saying he was gay. And so I'm hoping um What's his face? Doesn't have to go through this. Whatever his so name Michael is. So Michael Sam came out and then got fired, or he came out after he was he was let go. No, he like it was a part of the whole thing. Oh, it yeah. added on to it, which is that is unfair. People yeah. shouldn't be saying he's the first out person. Well, I mean, 
that's what happens. Right. But either yeah. way, I think it's more of a nuanced thing. But I, I'm I'm happy that this guy, the New York Times, by the way, I should say this. The New York Times came out with a horrible headline where they were reporting on this. And they like said that he was Carl, whatever his name is. It says Carl Nassib was an NFL everyman. Then he came out as gay. Ew. What? New York Times? Really? Like, what are you doing? Yes, it is awful to know that they said that. But, I mean, it's the New York Times, so whatever. Okay, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Billie Eilish is in more drama. And this time, it's not with her boyfriend. It's about her saying racist things. We're going to talk about it next hour because we've run out of time because the music's over. So... Um, stick around for that because, honey, she has a statement and she said everything she needs to say. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Our fans going to forgive her? We'll talk about it up next hour. Okay, the debate on the elections bill is continuing. What's going down in D.C. today and where will we land? That's next with The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Senate will take a procedural vote on a voting rights and government ethics bill today, but Republicans are expected to block it. Here to share more is Deputy Washington Editor at the Washington Post, Natalie Jennings. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? Uh, Yeah, good. Sorry. I was like, do you have a new title? (laughs) (laughs) I I do, yes. It's been a... a yeah, what? Months. Oh, changed. Everything's changed. Of Not course everything. you do, though. Amazing. You're like one of the I hardest workers we know. Congrats. Thanks. You know, if I, we were actually going in and sitting at a desk, I would say I just moved a few desks over. Um, but I just sit in the same desk now. Oh, well, we're happy to, you know, bring up that title here. So congratulations again. Thank you. So what is uh, the For the People Act being pushed through by the Democrats? So this is a bill that was um, crafted even before the 2020 election. So think about how differently we think of voting issues now than we did um, before the last election that would expand um, voting access, would kind of overhaul a lot of in a lot of different ways the way that elections are conducted. It would um, re it would sort of reform the Federal Elections Commission. It would change some things about campaign finance. It would federalize a lot of things that are the state's responsibility now. Um, it's pretty broad. Uh, and it was passed by the House easily and has been waiting on a vote in the Senate for quite some time now. Um, the That is what, well, the vote to set up that vote is what is happening today. And it is likely, as you said, to get blocked by Republicans because, um, you know, while Democrats have a majority, they need 60 votes to really move anything. And they're certainly not going to get 10 Republicans on board with this today. There is pretty uh, broad across the board dislike for this bill, even among some moderate Republicans. They might pick up a few, but certainly not enough to push it forward. Yeah. Why does Senate Minority uh, Leader Mitch McConnell feel like this act will like till every election in American permanently in Democrats favor is what he was quoted in the Washington Post. Uh, Why does he feel that way? And I feel like a lot of Republicans probably have expressed that same sentiment. Yeah. um, So he feels that way. I think a large part of it is sort of the access that it opens up, um, absentee valenting, um, changing. Um, it, It does touch on campaign finance. Those laws tend to favor Republicans when you really open up campaign finance to, to business interests to weigh in unmitigated. Um, it's really broad. And like I said, it takes away 
um, the ability of some states and localities to change rules. Um, the federal government, you know, would overrule some of these things that state governments are trying to do. Um, Mitch McConnell doesn't necessarily back everything that's going on in state governments across the country, um, but it would take away a lot of their ability to restrict voting um, in these states and localities in a way that might be advantageous to Republicans. And we know that Senator Joe Manchin was the wild card here, very clear, actually, about what he thought he was against what the Democrats were pushing. And he proposed something else that even Stacey Abrams supported. But then the Republicans were not into that even. Yeah, um, that doesn't mean this this thing is totally dead. Mitch McConnell himself is, is opposed to it. You could see possibly some more Republicans getting on, but McConnell being opposed to it um, does not um, bode well for any progress. And this gets back to that issue of anything needing to get 60 votes to pass. Um, what Manchin has proposed is something that's much more narrow um, that he thought conceded a little bit in terms to Republicans. The really eye-popping thing in that is that his bill would require some form of voter identification, which has been a big flashpoint and was seen as sort of a carrot for Republicans um, for some of their, um, I guess, veracity concerns. But McConnell has said he is even opposed to that. And the big question is, if they are just so blanketly opposed to some of these things that, that Manchin wants, at what point does Manchin decide he would like to change the rules of the Senate. He says that that is not going to happen, but you can see this sort of getting under his skin if there's just no way to move anything on things that he sees as appealing across the board. Yeah, and I I guess for our listeners and also for myself, because I really want to know, the filibuster, where does that play out into this moment? Because I know there's uh, there's positive and negatives and everyone is conflicted on whether Democrats should even be doing it. Like, what does that look like? Can you break that down for us? Yeah. So, you know, right now, really any big piece of legislation that the House passes because the House can pass with just, you know, a simple majority, meaning they have one vote more than the minority. They can pass anything they want, but nothing that the House passes can become a law unless it can go to the Senate and get 60 votes. There's 50 Democrats in the Senate. There's 50 Republicans. Um, There is a tie break because, you know, the administration can come in and Vice President Harris cast a tie break. That's the House Senate Democrats have a majority, but they can't actually pass anything because they can't get to those 60 votes. And there's a lot of um, pressure from some parts of the Democratic Party, I would say a growing part of the Democratic Party that says, let's just get rid of this rule. They could get rid of that rule anytime they could get all of their caucus to support it, but they can't because Joe Manchin, uh, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona have been the most vocal opponents. They say that there are other senators who don't want to get rid of it. The, the big problem with that is they get rid of that and then they you know, every two years, there's a chance that they are not the ruling party anymore. And even more than that, you know, they lose one, something bad happens to one Democratic senator, and they don't have the majority. So it's pretty easy to see how this could turn around on them. And all of a sudden, Republicans have this glide path to passing anything that they want. And so, um, you know, it's a big fight within the Democratic caucus right now. But it doesn't seem to be one that Joe Manchin in particular, Cinema, a few others want to bend on. So I don't look for that to be going away anytime soon. But I look for us to be talking about this for a long time. Oh, I'm sure. That was Natalie Jennings, Deputy Washington Editor at The Washington Post. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Coming up, uh, New York's election is today and the bid for mayor has national attention. So where could it land? Vox.com has those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
The New York City election is today, and the mayoral race seems to be as crazy as ever. Emily Stewart is with a senior reporter at Vox, who actually is about to vote herself right after this interview. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what is the feeling today in New York City with these post-pandemic elections? It has been a weird race. You know, a couple of things are going on here. We are doing ranked choice voting for the first time, which means instead of picking one candidate in this primary, we are picking five. It's very confusing. And then the race itself has been a little bit weird. Um, Everybody knows that Andrew Yang is running, and he kind of sucked up all of the air of the room, I think, early on in the race in terms of press attention. Uh, And now we really don't know who's going to win. We might have Brooklyn Borough President um, Eric Adams. There's also Kathy Garcia, who used to be the sanitation commissioner. Um, Maya Wiley, sort of the progressive pick. There are a whole bunch of other people in the race. And it's just been a strange time. Yeah, if I was in New York, I would Maya would probably end up getting my vote because I I'm a, I started following her just because I think she's just an awesome human. But it's really interesting this ranked choice voting you just mentioned. Like, what what does that mean? So it, you're putting all five candidates and you're ranking them in for what? Like most likely to succeed? Is this <laughs> like what is this? I can look, I have been trading you notes with friends all day saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? So basically, I mean, there are more than a dozen candidates in the race, I think, at this point. And so you rank them. I mean, it, it sounds like an order of preference. So if I want, you know, X person to win, I rank them first, you know, then second, third, fourth, fifth. What's happening here is kind of what I think a lot of people are doing are trying to, like, game out who their least favorite person would be. So if I really don't want a certain person to win, especially among the top four, then I want to make sure those other three in my ranking. I don't actually know how any of this is going to work. <laughs> Who came up um, with this? Yeah. Why are y'all doing this all of a sudden? Well, I think the idea is that it is better in that, like, you know, because there are so many candidates in the race, you kind of get a say, even if your first choice candidate doesn't win. And the people who are proponents of this say that it's really good and it's a good idea. I think just, like, you know, it hasn't been adopted in a whole lot of places. And so I think the first time doing it, it is tricky. And when you see five people you have to rank, especially in some of the lower races where it's like, I've heard of two of these people, it's a little bit complicated. But I think the idea is that you kind of get to participate a little more, even if your first choice candidate doesn't win, because basically people get knocked out until it's two candidates and then whoever winds up kind of with the most votes wins. I feel like we can barely figure out when you vote for one person, let alone a, a top five. But anyway, um, is this mayoral race different from others in the past? Like, why does it uh, seem like an election circus, as you wrote in your headline? I mean, I think that, you know, the New York mayoral race can always be weird. Like, you think back to 2013 when Anthony Weiner was uh, winning, like, ahead for a long time. Uh, and he had all the sexting scandals and things. But obviously, right now, the stakes are pretty high. And I think sometimes with the circus around this, whether it be Eric Adams, kind of a strange guy or whatever, Andrew Yang is saying a lot of the time is, you know, we're just coming out of a pandemic. The city is in quite a hole economically um, in terms of health. Like, you know, we were one of the first ones hit super hard by the pandemic. Um, And being mayor of New York City is a big job. You know, you have to manage a giant budget, but you also have to figure out what to do when it snows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Surprisingly, it's a very big deal. Um, And it's kind of a thankless job. You know, it's not like you go from City Hall to the White House, at least 
uh, we haven't seen anybody do that yet. And plenty of our former mayors have tried. Yeah. In polls leading up to this election, what are they uh, what are voters most like, I guess, wanting out of this out of like, what are they most concerned about? I mean, right now, people say that they're concerned about crime and public safety. Um, To be clear, New York is not some crime-infested hellhole. Um, But you have seen, you know, some crime measures bump up. You know, there are also concerns about public housing here and affordable housing here. It's really expensive to live here, as it is, you know, many parts of the country. Concerns about homelessness and really, you know, getting the city back up and running and, and businesses going again. A lot of restaurants and businesses shut down and we kind of need to, to restart life. Is the, Are the numbers going to be skewed because of a lot of people who moved out of the city? I mean, we don't know. We're not going to know the results of this for a week, probably. I don't think that many people fled the city, as maybe you would think, and a lot of those people are back now. I mean, it was a lot of those rich people that had, you know, second homes that are still voting here. It is, you know, it, to be fair, it also is a primary election on an off-year not a ton of people vote in these elections all of the time anyway, but, you know, people are paying attention. I guess I'll see after this when I go to vote how many people are there. I would imagine it'll be less than the presidential for sure. Definitely. Do you think Andrea Yang's going to win? Last question. Uh, why would she say that? Or, or, oh, I guess you can't. Oh, never mind. <laughs> why would I mean, she I'm just wondering who's at the that. top of the list right now, not for her, but in general, like what name are you hearing? I mean, I think right now the front runner is Eric Adams, I'm the Brooklyn oh, Borough President. Really? Oh my God. I don't, I mean, he has, I, I will say to his credit, like he really does have a lot of roots in the community and a lot of people say, you know, he's been showing up for years. Like it is, but truly it is anybody's game at this point. And, you know, because again, how this ranked choice voting goes, you know, somebody could get the most votes and during the first round and, and that doesn't mean they will get the most votes in the last round. They might, but yeah, yeah I mean, really, I, I have no idea. It's just kind of exciting, but also it's going to be a weird few weeks as we figure this out. Definitely. That was Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. Good luck with your voting today. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up, a fast food chain is starting drone delivery. Are you ready? That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We've been hearing about robots delivering food. Well, now there will be drones. The popular Mexican-American fast food chain, El Pollo Loco, said that they will be using drones to bring food to your doorsteps. How, you might ask? Well, they're partnering with this company, FlightDrex, to test this drone food delivery. It's going to be called Air Loco, because why not? And it's coming... um, it's coming this coming week, actually, at 10 of its restaurants, including one in Corona. So if you're, I guess, in California, you can grab your drone food. I just, <laughs> I get it, but I also don't get it because in this picture, Ryan, it's, you know, this drone and then it's holding the bag. It's not like it's in a box in the drone. Okay. So, like, how warm is your food going to be if it's been flying in the air at God knows what speed, up like 230 feet in the air, going 30 miles per hour. It can carry about six pounds. So also, how much food can you really get? It's a tamper-proof bag. I mean, but this is just so funny. Like, imagine looking up from your car and just walking and seeing these weird drones carrying all these bags. Um... Yeah, drones are weird. I went to. I was just at a party where there was like seven drones, like kind of doing that aerial what? shot, and you would hear oh. it. You yeah. would hear it kind of like flying by out of nowhere, and you know, hearing drone. Uh, what's those things that make it fly? Propellers, propellers. Mm-hmm. Hearing drone propellers, are, it's kind of the scariest thing ever when you're drunk because you don't know if mm. uh, anything's going to drop down out of the sky. Exactly. Like, what if something happens? But for this, it's just food, and I don't care. Imagine. That would be tragic, getting hit by a burrito and that's how you die. <laughs> that's a pretty strong-ass burrito. Maybe you should reevaluate for putting all that extra rice and chicken and, and everything on there because, you know, that would be a sad way to die. That's what I'm talking about. Well, they're the first of many that are going to be launching these services. So are you into this? It would take 10 minutes to get to you. Are you that hungry? I'm telling you, we are getting so impatient these days, we're not going to be able to wait for anything. I'm just waiting till I close my eyes and wish for something and it just appears. That would be great. At LGT shows where you can find us on social media. But coming up, the driver that killed one person at the Stonewall Pride Parade over the weekend is speaking out what he had to share next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour of the show, uh, we, of course, play his music, Stole the Show, the single right here on Channel Q. Parson James is joining us at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Stick around for that. We got some good guests during Pride Month. Plus, why Billie Eilish is having to apologize. That's in the Tea Report in a moment with Ryan. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Josh Hawley, who is a Republican, brought up some really interesting points on the GOP's stance on critical race theory. Young children set off to school with eyes full of hope and hearts full of pride in their country only to be taught that white privilege defines the nation, that subjects like mathematics are inherently racist, that the Christian faith is oppressive. They're taught that the nuclear family perpetuates racism. Oh yeah, that's exactly what critical race theory is all about. He also had this to say. Oh. Yeah, it continues. I don't want to torture you too much. But President but. Biden is <laughs> nominating for federal office individuals who do not share a view of America as a good and decent place, who do not believe that the history of this nation is worth celebrating, 
nominating instead people who believe that this is a country founded in racism and shot through with corruption. As one Twitter user said, who's going to tell him? <laughs> I mean. Now, a member of the Fort Lauderdale Gay Men's Chorus has come out to apologize. You know, as the Stonewall Pride Parade was set to begin Saturday in Wilton Manors, a small city that is just north of Fort Lauderdale, Fred Johnson Jr. suddenly accelerated. James Fahey, who's 75 of Fort Lauderdale, died in the crash, according to authorities. So this comes from Johnson, who's 77, saying, I offer my sincere regrets to all those who were impacted by this tragic event. I love my chorus family and the community and would never do anything to intentionally harm anyone. Please know that I hold my fellow chorus member, Jim Fahey, in my heart forever and offer my condolences to his friends and family. Police said Johnson was cooperating with investigators who have found no evidence that drugs and alcohol were factors in the crash and no arrests have been made. Yeah, imagine if that happens, you have to deal with that. Holding on to that your whole life, that you were part of that. Now, the Union of European Football Associations has rejected Munich's request to light up the Allianz arena in rainbow colors during Germany's match against Hungary, saying it is a politically and religiously neutral organization. Yeah, because... uh. Pride and celebrating the LGBTQ community is political. The mayor of Munich had proposed the gesture as a protest against Hungary's new law banning the sharing of LGBTQ content to minors. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Billie Eilish is apologizing after fans called on her to address an old video clip um, of the singer mouthing along to a song that included an anti-Asian slur. And it's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So yesterday, she wrote in a statement on our Instagram story that she wanted to address the backlash because she said she is, quote, being labeled something, unquote, that she is not. And um, She said this, there's a video edit going around of me when I was 13 or 14 where I mouthed a word from a song at the time I didn't know was a de- derogatory term used against members of the Asian community. She said, I'm appalled and embarrassed and I want to barf that I ever mouthed along to that word as it was never used around me by anyone in my family. Regardless of my ignorance and age at the time, nothing excuses the fact that it was hurtful and I am sorry for that. She also um, addressed a portion of the the clip that some viewers interpreted her as mocking an accent. She said that when she was a child, she used to just kind of speak in like a silly gibberish made up voice. She started doing it as a kid and have done it her whole entire life when talking to pets, uh, family and friends. Um, basically, this is all coming around where her boyfriend had to also apologize for, for racist stuff that he was saying online as well. And so, yeah, Billy going through it. I mean, she got a new album about to drop. Her sophomore album, Happier Than Ever, dropping a day after my birthday, July 30th. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be really interesting because she's at the top of her game. But, girl, people are not liking her right now. Yeah, they're calling out things that they're noticing. I mean, she has a huge following and they are ravenous. They will find everything and anything. I mean, she totally came out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's also it, right? So she probably wasn't expecting it either. Yeah, not at all. She was not expecting it. And also this deep dive. That's what happens. That's what happens. Um, I got more stories and T-Report coming up later in the show. 
Now coming up next. Oh, you don't have to wrap just yet. Oh, okay. Well, hold on for that. I know you got so much more show to go. Um, No, but here we go. I got to tell you about during Pride Month, what we are doing. Rouse and Food for Less are partnering with Channel Q and the Los Angeles LGBT Center to help fill the fridge for homeless LGBT youth and seniors in need. Please text FRIDGE, F-R-I-D-G-E, to 20357 to donate to the Los Angeles LGBT Pride Pantry. Donations doubled are going, oh, well, donations are going to be doubled by Ralph's and Food for Less. I mean, just $25 can get an entire week's worth of groceries, so it's pretty iconic. Help us fill the fridge by texting FRIDGE to 20357. It's the easiest thing you'll do today. Well, next up, why the Supreme Court sided with student-athletes versus the NCAA and how that will change the game. That is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Supreme Court has ruled that student-athletes can receive education-related payments, and this is a really big deal. And here to tell us why is Lee Steinberg, who is a sports agent and has represented over 300 professional athletes in football, baseball, basketball, boxing, Olympics pretty much everywhere. Thanks for being here. Are you there? Yes. Oh, hey, what's up? So, can you give us some context around this case and why it's been such a point of contention for the NCAA? So, there's been a continuous effort by athletes to get compensated at a higher level than just the scholarship check they get. And for many athletes from disadvantaged families, the scholarship check is not enough to put them in an equal lifestyle with their non-athletic peers. Remember, the non-athletes can work to supplement their income, or many of them get allowances from home. So the court ruled yesterday that, uh, first of all, the whole system of college athletics um, is subject to antitrust challenges. So the very fact that the players get the scholarship and, and nothing else uh, is in the future subject to challenge. And there's a new rule, California passed SB 206, which was a rule allowing players to market their own name, image, and likeness and to use marketing agents. That has been adopted by the NCAA, but not implemented yet. So currently, uh, what the court said was that they could add to the money that the players are getting with educational supplements and and uh, for interns or tutors and, and open up that door. But what it portends is it's another crack in the wall of the NCAA because we're soon going to see a system where athletes can market themselves. Yeah, which is really interesting because I feel like the closest thing that I understand of this is like watching uh, docu-series shows like uh, Last Chance You and seeing kind of like how students who are basketball players or football players kind of put everything out on the line for their sport and they're like not receiving any money. They don't have time for a second job or anything. And so to know that these funds that they're getting is, is just going to be for education-related benefits, is there going to be ever a time where they're actually kind of getting paid for their like the work that they're doing besides just educated related benefits and what does that necessarily look like is that something on the table or discussions being had well again again the ncaa is uh going to implement a rule that allows players to do their name image and likeness and so whatever they can make in an endorsement sense so 
Um, it might only affect the star athletes who have high name recognition. But on the other hand, if you go to a school like Alabama, probably the 30th person on the football or basketball roster will be able to do social media, will be able to monetize that social media, will be able to drive up their Instagram uh, followers or their Right, so they're Twitter basically followers. an influencer. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But wouldn't like right. people and, like you take a 10% cut of that? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes. Be more you're an agent. Yeah, you're an agent. That's, I'm not what surprised. Was I, like, to see? You're I, not, I don't feel like you're doing something bad. I <laughs> no, mean, you're not. Wasn't it brought up that the NCAA was exploiting students in many ways by cutting them out from other ways of getting paid? Well, yes, they are. Because think about this. Of all the money from television and from live gate and from memorabilia that comes in, the percentage that a college spends on its scholarships is about 7%. So the players are resentful because they uh, see their number being sold on their jersey in the student store and they see the big crowds, yeah. and yet, again, if you come from a disadvantaged background, you may be sending part of that scholarship check home, uh-huh. and uh, they don't even live at the lifestyle of non-athletic peers, and they're, they're out there for the university. So um, I think as early as this summer, we'll see them able to more market themselves than if you read uh, Justice Gorsuch decisions and Justice Kavanaugh's decisions, they make it pretty clear that they're on the verge of being able to take down the whole system and then players will get paid. And And here's wow. the thing. Right now, they leave uh, one and done in basketball after one year, and they can leave in football after three years from the high school graduation. And if you don't make it more enticing for them to stay on campus, then it really hurts college sports. And why, why is that um, a bad, like, why should people care about college sports versus, you know, them um, just going professional? Well, because, for example, next to pro football, college football is the most popular sport in this country and has sky-high ratings. Um, most people that went to college are alums of some school, and they root for it. And what I'm telling you is that the whole basis of uh, amateurism has already been compromised. Um, and... We're about to see if they don't make major adjustments, the whole system will fall, and uh, you'll you'll have athletes going to the schools that are the highest bidders. Oh, versus oh, this is so interesting. By the way, we never talk about it's this. Really but intense. They, wouldn't they always go to the highest bidders <laughs> schools though? Or now they'll make go to one that they like if they know they can have other upside. Yeah, not really. Um, uh, there are obviously more athletic schools. So in football, it's Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, uh, SC. Um, In basketball, it's schools like Duke and um, Louisville. Um, But they can't get all the players. They don't have enough roster uh, limits so that you get a certain balance. But there are um, big-time schools that operate on a totally different financial level. And the players want their fair share so either they'll allow them to market themselves which will be a help or the system will fall to a later antitrust uh suit um that both those justices uh implied was on the way they both decried the 
exploitation of the college athletes and the closed system nature of it. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for breaking this down. Wait, real quick. I, I do oh. have one more thing. One more thing. Just one more thing. Is it is this also applied to like junior colleges too that have teams, or is it like two separate things? Junior colleges don't give scholarships. So, um, um, in general, because the junior college's tuition is very modest, um, but you know, for a major private school, it can be fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. But what I'm telling you is that the players don't necessarily want to go to college. We wish they would, but as a but as a way station just to get to the pros. So you don't have some of the people with any current intention to ever graduate. Interesting. Okay, well, that was Lee Steinberg, who is a sports agent. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Coming up, what did you do if you feel that remote learning failed you and your children? What some parents are doing next. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device, credit, service, ported, 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Of course, everyone was dealing with remote learning over the past year. But what do you do if remote learning failed you? Well, some families are considering having their child repeat a grade. Can you imagine that? Oh, that is so MG. rude. I mean, but here's the thing. I, I understand parents' concerns, but no child, no matter what, you know, sometimes they need to, but no matter what, they hate the idea of having to be held back uh, a year. And it's one of those things where maybe they get some leeway because of the pandemic and everyone's probably doing it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is this a good move? Who knows? Well, yes, I want to hear more. We have Dr. Elizabeth Dexter Maza, Dr. James Maza back with us. Uh, from DBT in schools. Thanks again for being here today. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. Good to be here. I know it's been a while. So what do you think about this? Like, where are we at right now in terms of looking back at what remote learning was all about this past year and where kids are now? Well, you know, I'm not sure we're going to know the extent of this for another four to five years, to be honest. Uh, I think that everybody's kind of in the same boat. I don't think uh, everybody, um, too many people just accelerated during remote learning, right? Everybody, I think a lot of people missed the experience. There are a lot, there are some people that didn't miss the bullying and didn't miss some of the peer interactions. Although if we're talking about younger kids, I'm kind of there with Ryan that, you know, kids feel like they get held back because there's something wrong with them, that they somehow aren't smart enough. 
something's broken in them that they didn't uh, make the cut for some other type of reason. And so I think uh, our kids will, with the right environment and being uh, nourished to, to learn more and have a safe uh, school environment, that they're going to be just fine and catch up academically and socially. I think there's more things that we have to consider than just the academics of a kid. I totally agree. And, you know, I, it's really interesting. NPR actually said uh, they took a recent poll and of 60 school districts in 20 states showed an average enrollment drop of 16 percent. Why do you think parents aren't enrolling their kids in public school anymore? Is it because they actually enjoy kind of having the, uh, the opportunity to kind of map out their own what their child's education looks like, whether it be virtual or whether there's private, you know, homeschooling? What do you, why do you think that's such a big drop? I think there's a variety of factors that went into it. I think a significant number that contributed to that drop were parents deciding not to start their kids in kindergarten in the last year um, so that they could have a more in-person, first-time kindergarten experience. So that's one side of it. I think the other side is that um, in some areas, people with means were able to move their kids into private schools, which in many places, private schools were more likely to open to do in-person learning or provide services or academic education and support at a higher level than some public schools. And that's the other drop that we see, which unfortunately just widens the inequity gap um, for individuals. And so I think We've got to be thinking about that. How do we pull up all of our students together? How do we give the services that are needed to the kids that are needed that um, need them in their appropriate grade and for their appropriate age? We don't want to make it further where we've got kids one to two years older with younger kids um, that's actually impacting their social emotional health and making them fall further behind. So if we can focus on the social-emotional learning of all the kids, that can also help bring up some of those academic experiences. Yeah. How will this impact kids over the next five years if a lot of them are repeating the grades? Well, I think that might be hard, right? So I'm not sure we have the the research on that. You know, my I lean like uh, Ryan does to say that, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of repeating that grade unless there's really some uh, educational difficulties that we knew were there uh, before the pandemic, the pandemic exacerbated, made things a lot, lot worse, and that they really are going to be set up to fail if they move them forward. So I, you know, for the most part for me, though, I would want to take my chance of moving my child forward with their cohorts, with their friends, and if they need a little bit more academic instruction, we can provide that in the, in the next grade level. And so let's catch them up if it's an academic issue. And so I just yeah. think... It, the, it doesn't come without consequences, and some of those consequences are going to be social-emotional where the child doesn't think that they measure up. Well, districts, I, I, think- I, well, I was going to say, districts are considering, you know, a lot of potential solutions, including summer school, extending the school day or a year, and hiring more kind of teachers, but do you think that's enough? I think they might hire, hire, that'll all be helpful. One of my concerns about just hiring more teachers for a certain cohort or a certain grade is that you're going to run into that every year as that cohort gets older, that you're going to have to keep hiring more stu- more teachers for that grade. If we can actually hire more teaching aides, more tutors, more social-emotional staff, then we're meeting the needs of more students across multiple grades, and I think we'll be have better impacts long-term. What are you seeing as educators right now? How has this all affected how you're teaching and what you're sharing with parents? And also, I mean, you have kids as well. 
Yeah, so for us, you know, I think we're uh, providing a lot of grace to our kids. We're being uh, more patient with them. You know, and, and to Ryan's point that, you know, hiring more teachers is, is simply not the, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach. If schools start to take on the structure of, hey, you know what, we've been way too heavily oriented towards academics, we need to be more balanced and be teaching these kids about uh, gratitude and about, um, you know, social skills and about how to make decisions and coping, then I think that there's going to be a much le- more level playing field that uh, is allowed in schools and starts to look like they're educating that whole child rather than the, just the academic child. Okay, that was Dr. Elizabeth Dexter Maza, Dr. James Maza. Thank you so much the for greatest. joining us. Again, tell people where to find <laughs> your work because you do so much. You can find us on our website at gbtinschools.com. We're also on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, at GBT in Schools. We'd love to just connect more with people and tell them about our work. Amazing. Thank you so much. Now coming Thank up. You. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Now coming up, why this Tinder date is trying to sue someone who uh, did something. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So this Canadian woman is claiming that a Tinder date of hers is trying to sue her for, and this is where I, you know, I tease, suing for something, for turning down sex. Can you believe this? He claims that she had violated their verbal contract. Wait, so he's suing her for not getting yes. sex? What a creep. Exactly. Lock him up. This is embarrassing. Actually, lock him up for sure because that is disgusting. She even has a video chronicling the incident and it has over 250,000 views on TikTok. So this person, her name is Emily McKinnon. And she says, so we matched on Tinder. He was a law student at the time. We went back to his place. It was implied that we were going to hook up, but I never explicitly stated that. One, even if you did, if you don't want to do it, then you don't want to do it. Yeah. This isn't like a pay-to-play thing. Who who doesn't, like, do the the whole, you talk a big game when you're sexting, and then you be like, when you actually see the person, you're like, oh, did I say that? I don't remember saying all that nasty stuff. That's not me. Right? You never know when you said it. Right? What if you were uh, under the influence? You didn't really mean it. What if it was a friend, right? Now this girl's pretty. So basically, she quickly um, said that... <laughs> this gets weird. I was standing up and she smelled something. There was like skid marks in his <gasps> underwear. He had not washed in a long time. He Girl, the sh- now I'm judging her because the taste in men. But to be honest... You know, I don't want to put a blanket statement out there, but it's not really shocking to know that a straight man has has streaks in his jaws. Was that really shocking? Gross. Is it? That's not really shocking. I'm telling. I'm telling you that you got to go on Twitter. You see, there was a tweet that I saw from a a, 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 a cis straight guy who, which yeah, a cis straight guy who said that he uh, wears his uh, underwear like at least three to five days <coughs> a week before washing them. You know someone who does this? No, it's a, it was a tweet that went viral. And he's like, yeah, all guys do this. And everyone was like, did you really just get on Twitter and actually say that? Like, guys actually do that? I'm just saying. So it's not really shocking that there are men out there that have streaks and in it, And before a date where you know you're going to get action, at least change your underpants. Or wipe your ass properly? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean change your underpants for... 
for a date. No, he needs to learn how to wipe something he should have learned how to do, do when he was three. But she said, and to Chad, the man who tried to sue me, because then he went, if anything, you'd be maybe embarrassed and just like want to leave it alone. And then he, he tried to sue her. She goes, I know you watch every single thing that I do. We met one time. You're musty. That's really lame. You oh, need to move it along, great. buddy. He's musty too. Wow, girl. Years have passed since the failed lawsuit, but she says um, that it's still happening, and so she decided to talk about the story. So she's recently. still being sued? It was a failed lawsuit, but it's, she wanted to bring up the story oh, wow. recently. Yeah. Wow. That's... She was promoting her podcast, Been Their Bestie, where she plays a humor snippet in a TikTok video. She did a great job at promoting her podcast. Exactly. And there you go. It's all for the podcast. Now coming up, we've got what's trending this hour. Uh, Michigan has advanced a bill that allows organ donation from people with HIV. Those details next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up, we've got singer-songwriter Parson James joining us in 30 minutes. We're going to be playing his new song, A Clip of It. It's with JoJo. It's called Dirty Laundry. So stick around for that. That's it's so good. It's so good. And they surprised everyone at uh, the festival that I did, Out Loud Raising Voices. We, JoJo came out on stage and sang the song with him. So it was a moment. I love it. Well, congrats to Connecticut. After more than eight years of debate, they've legalized recreational marijuana. The bill that Governor Wait, Ned... Who lo- did? Um, Connecticut. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Connecticut also made... I think uh, I read something about... Uh, they also did something where they made prison phone calls free. Oh, which that's I cool. Think every state should be doing that. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. That sucks. They're not free. Where are they? Who's paying for that? Everyone. You you don't know like when I you actually call, didn't know it's a collect call, and so the people oh, yeah, like the right. families are having to pay for that. Mm. I'm gonna double check that. Well, Governor Ned Lamont signed it, and it's going to be available to anyone over the age of 21 beginning next Thursday, July 1st. The bill makes Connecticut the 19th state to legalize adult use of cannabis, which uh, sales are aimed for 2022. Yeah, then Connecticut also became the first state to make all prison phone calls free. So, yeah, incarcerated men and women and their families uh, are now not going to have to have that financial burden when having to make... Like, you know, phone calls. It charged up to $5 for a 15-minute call. Those are uh, some of the highest phone rates in the country. And so, yeah, they're the first state to do this. Hopefully other states will continue to do it. Yep. Shout out to Connecticut doing this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, legislation that passed last week in the Michigan House would allow patients with HIV to donate organs to HIV-positive patients. The law passed unanimously and now heads to the state Senate for further approval. And the HOPE Act lifted the ban on using organs of those with HIV transplants. Uh, That was from 2013. Already allows organs of those with HIV to be recovered and taken outside of the state. The new law will allow the organs to be given to someone else in need within the state. And Michigan has about 2,500 people on organ transplant waiting lists. So um, that is a big deal. So good on Michigan for doing that. And that was so much trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Uh, It's such a great question. (laughs) Okay, wait a second. I do know what's coming up, actually. So Sarah Paulson, this is a hilarious story involving Sarah Paulson and Matthew Perry. Well, Sarah went to a makeout party thrown by Carrie Fisher one time, Mm -hmm. uh, where uh, basically she said that she was rejected by Matthew Perry. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Let's do 
this. So Sarah was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and she recalled this awkward moment that happened at one of the many interesting parties that I guess um, are normally held at late um, late author Gore Vidal's house. Here she is talking about uh, this low-key kind of embarrassing moment. But not really. It's a good fun. We had this, and it was her idea to call it the makeout party. Oh. Where Shirley MacLaine was. I mean, it was a huge, it was, I think Queen Latifah was there. All these people were there. And I was obviously panicked because neurotic. Um, and uh, Did people make people would, out? I never, I didn't see anyone make out, but there was a hat with names in it. And you were supposed to make out with whomever you pulled out of the hat. Really? Wow. And Matthew Perry pulled my name out of the hat. Wow. And then promptly left the room. And I was like. <laughs> Wait, how do you know he pulled it out? Because I saw him. He was like, oh, well. And he's like, I got you. And I was like, oh. Uh, well, let's kiss. And he was like, no. And he, what? <laughs> no, he wasn't. It just, we knew each other a little bit through one of my, my very best friends. Oh, the world. was and it so awkward because you knew each and, other? Yeah, but then we ended up playing uh, romantic partners years later on a show called Studio 60, and then I got my kiss. Oh, you did? I got... <laughs> that is, like, one of my favorite stories. I, one, who's going to a, a thing called makeout parties? What are we, 12? Like spin the bottle. 15 These are like seconds the in PG uh, sex parties, like Hollywood sex parties is the PG version. Uh, wow. I mean, I could see this after a late night. Like, hey, but you yeah. go to a Hollywood sex party? Is that what you're saying? You I feel like there are those. No, there's I totally been. those. We're not invited. We're I don't, not cool enough. Kind of don't want to be. I really, I'm intrigued. Unless it's like a like. Well, if it's gay, then maybe. And depending on who's there, maybe. I would go to just any, just to at least just to see what's happening. Like you want to know, you want to see who's having sex with them. I just, other? I'm intrigued. Although I'm mean, maybe sign an NDA, you would never be. Able although to say maybe, of, yeah, of course. Uh, maybe they're wearing masks, though. You don't know who everyone is. <gasps> True, yeah. unless the mask falls off and telling everybody's business. That's your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. Uh, well, you actually have something that you oh. have next on the show. Yeah, you're actually right. So um, this month, Pride Month, of course, we're highlighting some amazing LGBTQ plus organizations. I got to speak with Glisten out of Seattle because cool. you know it's a national brand, but they have a local chapter. So um, stick around for that because yeah, you'll find out a little, little bit more what Glisten's doing over in Seattle, Washington. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, I am so excited to be chatting with John McFarlane. He is the chair of Glisten Merced and the professional development coordinator. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So can you tell us a little bit about the mission of Glisten? Really, Glisten is a national nonprofit organization that believes that all students should be free from harassment, discrimination, and bullying. They strive to promote safe learning environments for LGBTQ plus individuals and other marginalized students in K-12 settings. Wow. I mean, I'm thinking about where was I when I needed something like that growing up. Can you talk about what resources you actually provide? So Glisten Merced is actually a chapter of the national organization as well. So we are um, located in Merced County and we represent Merced County and along with you know, the surrounding areas. And some of the resources that we actually have that we're providing to the, um, the community is that, you know, just general awareness, you know, general resources through, you know, um, education and um, professional development trainings. As far as, you know, resources for us in our chapter, we've been very fortunate to have great donors um, who are just truly passionate about 
working with and helping K-12 kids work through some of the issues that, you know, we've had, um, you know, with bullying, harassment, and discrimination in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, I can only imagine how some of your services and resources had to pivot, especially coming out of the, the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so actually, it's very interesting that you you mentioned that because um, we're a fairly new chapter. And so we've only been around for a little over a year. Mm. Um, We really kind of got started in the middle of the pandemic. So unfortunately, you know, um, some of the work that we had originally wanting to do as far as, you know, outreach to schools, you know, really kind of networking with, you know, GSAs, you know, leaders in schools, we had to do some of that through, you know, Zoom. And so a lot of it was virtual. You're right. We definitely had to pivot, you know, some of our, um, you know, some of our original ideas. And now we are just kind of slowly bringing back, you know, some of those, um, you know, some of those networking ideas in order to prepare for the fall when, when schools back into in-person. So can you give our listeners an example of who you actually help? You know, as board members, we represent, you know, healthcare workers, advocates, educators, um, family members, you know, um, of LGBTQ plus um, individuals. And so we're working together to, you know, really, um, you know, assist other local school districts. We are currently working with the Merced County Office of Education to put on safe space trainings. Um, and then distribute that out to um, local administrators, and then eventually to local staff, faculties in in our schools. Um, this is, you know, in response to um, Assembly Bill 493 in California, which basically says, you know, it's been it's been um, implemented, and it basically says that there needs to be training um, for all educators on issues that impact. Uh, K-12 students who are um, identifying as LGBTQ+. And tell us a little bit about the partnership with T-Mobile. Yes, Glisten National has been very um, fortunate to receive a great gift from T-Mobile. It's about $250,000 on that gift. And T-Mobile has been very gracious about, you know, extending their uh, partnership with Glisten in a year-long effort to um, really kind of beef up two specific initiatives. One is on the Day of Silence, and the other one would be Rainbow Libraries. So really to bring more awareness, awareness and literacy for students who are LGBTQ+. Well, you know, T-Mobile believes pride powers our future, and how is Glisten making that happen with the work that you do every day? You know, definitely representation is recognition. And so, you know, T-Mobile, by, you know, the efforts that they're going to be able to, to help us with by, you know, really kind of supplying some of the, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus positive um, representations of books and realia that are going to be put into um, public schools for our LGBTQ plus um, students and starting that as an early, you know, early on, that is, it's going to empower our kids to feel comfortable being themselves and really knowing that it's okay, you know, wherever you are, whatever um, gender identity or gender expression, it's okay. 
Um, so I think that is going to be a big part in, um, you know, in people most uh, participation with us. We are so proud, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We are so proud to work with T-Mobile to bring organizations like Listen to our Channel Q family. T-Mobile is committed to empowering change makers in the community and their continued commitment to championing DEI work. Uh, T-Mobile believes pride powers our future. And for more information, go to T-Mobile.com slash pride. And to learn more about Glisten, go to glisten.org. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we are joined by the one and only Parson James. And how did we play his music here on the show? Uh, I mean, Stow the Show is one of my all-time favorite shows, Shira. Well, songs. <laughs> songs, you know what I mean. Oh, I hear you. You know what I mean. But now he's back with new music, and he partnered up with, honestly, a queen of mine, uh-huh. JoJo, Dirty Laundry. Let's play a little bit of it before we bring him in. Here is Dirty Laundry. Make you contemplate all the good and all the bad things, babe. I could be the one to motivate you. I know we're struggling in different ways, but I'm a shelter I could keep you safe. God, I'm obsessed with that song. Everyone, welcome. Parson James, hi. Hi, 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 hi. Thank you so much. How are you? I am so good. We're great. Uh, You performed at Out Loud Raising Voices earlier this month to kick out Pride, which was your first performance back live like everyone else. How did that feel? Oh, my God. I think that just from, like, sound check, getting to, you know, the Coliseum, getting to that space, and it was also my birthday that night, so, like, it was an overwhelming amount of emotion. I think from the second we walked in, everyone was so nice and gracious, like greeting us, like, to, you know, I don't know. Everyone was so happy to be there. So it was just like, was the best, best vibe. Parson, yeah. it, it feels like it's been forever since you decided to release music out into the world again. Why was there kind of this wait? Did you have to kind of refine yourself and your sound during the quarantine of it all? Like, what was going on for you? Um, you know, there's just been so much that has happened in the past few years. I experienced so many, you know, things between label woes and management issues and just things that threw me off course that I let kind of get the better of me here and there. But um, I took this last year, I got a record deal in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. Uh, and I started working with someone that, uh, you know, it was he was like one of the only people that I was working in person during all this So. I just was locked down <laughs> writing these songs. I was in, you know, this quarantine relationship as well. That was crazy. I met someone like the day before quarantine uh, started in LA. Like we went on our first day, like the night before things shut down. And so I had like all this stuff happening on top of what was happening in the world. That was the well of inspiration. That was <laughs> it was definitely not dry. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you know, I just I just kind of I worked every day. I'm so thankful that I got to like write as much as I did during 2020 and. So, you know, I wrote Dirty Laundry 
about this uh, about this guy I was seeing, and you know the genesis of it is that like there was a coin shortage in L.A. and he kept bringing his laundry to my house because he couldn't use his laundry machine. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> on top of that, like he he had a lot going on, so like he had a lot of you know what he would think is excess baggage and stuff, and you know some people call that dirty laundry, like you know these secrets uh-huh. or things that are, you know ashamed of or whatnot, and just the you know the parallels of him bringing these bags of stuff <laughs> to my house on top of unloading all of the things that he was dealing with in his life. It just, um, I wanted to make a song that kind of, you know, let him know, but also people that you love know that you're a safe space for them. And that, you know, I want, you know, people to listen to this song and just think of someone that they can share everything with and not be judged oh. by and um, just feel safe. So adding my best friend to the mix made so much sense to put Joanna on it. Um, and when she heard it, she was immediately like, "It has to, it, we, we have to do this. And we have never worked together, which is crazy. No way. Oh, I love that message. You almost made me cry because it's so true. It is hard to find those folks in your life where you can literally share everything with them and you feel like it's okay. Exactly. And, I, you know, Joe was there with me through the, the whole relationship situation thing. And there's nothing that I hold back from her or, you know, people that are really, really close to me in my life. You know, when, when you're in my, like close friend circle it's all on the table call me at whatever time in the middle of the night tell me anything i'm never judging you we're going to work through it and whatnot Uh, we we, we have that with each other and um i also wanted to represent some you know platonic love like you know we're we're there for each other in a way that we we just love each other so so much and so the music video and how we wanted it all depicted i think was important and i hope that it came across that way i'm just super super proud of it oh you should be and honestly all of the music from high tide low tide i mean it's just been really good to see you back in your element there's just something about it that is just so special and i'm so excited for more new music coming for you this year right do we have a date yet like do you know do you know tell me oh yeah and new music just i shot a music video uh, the tuesday after um the tuesday after out loud stuff Video is shot. The next little offering is on its way, and I'm very proud of that. And um, yeah, just excited for what the year has to you know to offer. I've gotten you know so much done and so much material, and in a place where I'm so proud of the bodies of work that I've created and I can share and I can like share without any fear and just excitement. And I'm just proud. Well, Parson James, please let everyone know where everyone can keep up with you on social because I could speak for you to you like forever at this point, but we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. You can keep up with me on Instagram at I am Parson James, Twitter, Parson James, and my website, Parson James Official. Yes. Uh, all right, Parson, <laughs> we'll see you back when you got that album dropping because we love you and you always have a home here at Channel Q. Thank you so much. I love y'all. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So folks are not happy on Twitter because they found that the Coca-Cola website didn't allow people to put Palestine or Black Lives Matter on its customizable Coke bottles. But it seemed to let you label your bottles Blue Lives Matter and Nazis. Really? You know, folks are doing those investigations. Well, my thing is, I think it's a valid investigation because if you're going to censor certain words, then why not censor all of the words? Oh, yeah. And they went in, right? In a viral tweet yesterday, user Rami Ismail directed followers to go to the Share a Coke personalized Coke bottle webpage and enter Palestine. You get an error because Coca-Cola thinks Palestine is offensive. (laughs) Okay. And then they continued... um, (laughs) 
<laughs> about other things. Uh, but she put in Nazi, and it seems like that could appear on the bottle. <laughs> All these screenshots are on this person's Twitter, and people were just, like, not having it. Uh, because I guess the bot or whatever they're using can't figure out uh, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. They also uh, tested LGBTQ phrases on a bottle. One person tested dead babies and mm, and forced penetration and found that the customizer accepted both. A screenshot showed the acronym, all um, another acronym that appeared to censor. Um, and so they found some holes in their censorship. Trans rights was allowed, thankfully. Femboy, Karl Marx. But it seems like other things that are kind of obvious um, were not. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of sad to know that that's what's happening, but not shocking either. I mean, I get that people want to call a company like this out. Is this a big enough deal? Like, Coke's going to be dragged for this? Yeah, they should be. Yeah, why not? Why would they not? Um, Yeah, I mean, the word slavery would not push through, but forced labor did. So I think it goes back to the nuance of these things. Like, obviously, something like this isn't going to be like a human AI it should maybe, but like, I, I mean, you kind of only learn this by someone doing this and trolling the company. Yeah. And what's the point if someone wants to get Black Lives Matter on the Coke? They should be able to get it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I like, think that's the bigger that issue. Yeah. That's the biggest issue. Blue Lives Matter. Hmm. Well, that's not good. Exactly. That's not good. At uh, all. You know, the soccer star, what's his name? How he pushed away a Coke on a viral video. This week. Oh, I don't know. About uh, that. Yeah. And it was a huge deal because he encouraged people to drink water. Coca-Cola's uh, stock went down hugely because of that. So Coca-Cola is not having a good week. Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, the number one. Yeah. He was like the number one followed person on Instagram for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, they might need to get it together. Well, let us know what you think. Do you uh, care about these customizable Coke bottles? Are you annoyed that they let things through like Blue Lives Matter and Nazis? At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Coming up, a new study reveals how many non-binary adults live in the U.S. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. The TV Academy's Board of Governors announced yesterday that it has approved a gender-neutral option for nominees and winners, which will go into effect this year. They said this in a statement, Now nominees and or winners in any performer category titled actor or actress may request that their nomination certificate and Emmy statuette carry the term performer in place of actor or actress. The actor and actress categories themselves won't change. They do say no performer category titled actor actress has ever had a gender requirement for submissions though which i feel like not a lot of people knew that but thanks for clarifying the academy also said that beginning in 2022 any documentary sub submitted for oscars consideration will be deemed a theatrical motion picture and thus ineligible for the emmy competition and uh, this year's emmys will take place on september 19th so yeah that i guess that's um uh, a big deal that they they did this and I'm happy they're recognizing the non-binary community in Hollywood as well. Yeah, I mean this act is good, but I, I, I don't think I would ever give the Academy a yes queen. That's because they got so much work to do. They got so much work to do. This is great, but well, they we're, got not, so much we're acknowledging the, ba- the baby steps. Yeah, but it's just like, that's like giving fish a snack for 
swimming. <laughs> that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Do you want to add in uh, Ryan Yes Queen? No, not today. Nothing made me happy today. Oh, no. Nothing. <laughs> nothing at oh, all. Oh, my God. No, I'm just joking. There was just nothing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to Yaz Queen to my family in the studio who supported me through some emotional times today. Oh, God. See, you didn't even have to bring that up. Oh, well. You know, this is real. You get to know us as we get to know you. We appreciate you for hanging out with us today. Again, we'll be back tomorrow, weekdays here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern, live. On tomorrow's show, we have Councilman Jalen McKee Rodriguez joining us, who is Texas's first black gay lawmaker ever elected to office. How cool is that? Now that is a yes queen. Yes. Uh, plus, <laughs> why we admire do-gooders, but we shouldn't date them. Wow, we are messing with people's heads here on the show. And if you miss any of our interviews or shows, you can catch up on everything as a podcast. Join our podcast family. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Instagram for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering how to break bad habits and start better ones. That's next. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.